I hope you are very much enjoying your winter recharging holiday season. And we are taking a look back at some of my favorite episodes of the podcast. So these are old episodes of the podcast that have kind of been remastered for you. This is Brianne Davis, who is the author of The Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. Now, I'm a little embarrassed because this is one of the first episodes I recorded of my podcast with a guest. Brianne is a working actress, producer, and director, and honestly, an it girl. And from the outside, it looks like she had it all. She was made. She was making it in Hollywood. And little did we all know that she was struggling with sex and love addiction until 2021 when her book, The Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, was released. In this episode, we get into the fakeness that runs through Los Angeles. We talk about how it really looked like Brienne had it all and she was struggling and how she got up there and is now owning her shit, which I think is real it girl energy. We also touch on the lies that Hollywood told us about love and how perfect and glamorous it all is and how Hollywood doesn't actually fulfill you and how people are really addicted to this fantasy idea that we see on Instagram and TV and that we're always looking for better when really you need to look inwards to fulfill yourself. It's crazy because in this episode, we also talk about how sick we are of how picture perfect everything looks. And this was filmed or recorded in 2021. And now we are having such a push for authentic creators on TikTok. This episode really touches on so many important pillars of mental health, taking care of yourself and how being an it girl is not always as glamorous as we may think it may be. So you want to be an it girl? Welcome back to Confessions of a Wannabe It Girl. I'm your host, Marley Freigang, and I'm here to help you filter out all the BS that's out there in pursuit of becoming the next It Girl. We are so excited to have you here with us. You just wrote a book that just came out called The Secret Lives of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. So I'm going to jump right into it. Awesome. When someone asks you, what is your book about? What do you say? Oh my God, that's a hard question. You would think it'd be the easy one. I say it's Romaclef fiction that is based on my life and my experience in Hollywood and being a sex and love addict in recovery the last 11 years. And you follow a character named Roxanne through the first year of her recovery while she's trying to be an actress in Hollywood. And you get to see all the pitfalls of the program and her letting go of her past behavior. So it's like a semi-memoir, chiclet, self-help kind of book is what how I describe it. But a lot of men love it. My mom just read it and she was crying and she oh. said, I've done some of the things that Roxanne has done. Oh. And it was so beautiful because my mom has never said that to me before, you know? Maybe I should give it to my mom and see what she says. Well, I say everybody has Roxanne in them. Roxanne oh, could totally. be me. It could be you. It could be your mom, your sister, your cousin, your brother, your dad. Anybody has those things where we reach outside of ourselves to fill us. And a lot of people use people. And that's what the addiction is about. Using people to fill ourselves, to make ourselves feel important, special, love. And it's that high, you know, that attention, flirting, intriguing. So anybody can be Roxanne, really. Wow. And what is a Roma clone? Say that again. 
No, it's a Roma Clef fiction. Mm-hmm. So when I was talking to publishers, they were like, we don't know how to market this book. It's like three right. different books. And they wanted me to change it and make it a memoir. And I said, listen, when I wrote it as a memoir, it didn't feel like it was meant to be that. I kept mm-hmm. rewriting and rewriting and all these scenes kept coming to me. So it couldn't be a memoir because some scenes are real and some scenes are fake. And I will never tell you which one or who that. anybody is. So you can try to like Google and guess all you want. But this publisher said, well, we can always say Roma Clef fiction. And I was like, what the hell is that? Like, I'm not an English major. I am dyslexic, have ADHD, like no idea. And it's the books that are based on true stories. You as a writer, you can put, you know, you can exaggerate or change all the names and the locations and the times. You can change whatever you want as long as majority of it is based on real life. So like the Nanny Diaries, Devil Wears Prada, all are those are Roma Clef fictions. Gotcha. Okay. So now we know. But this book is so great. And one thing we'll definitely talk about is how you switch back from script form. Yeah, I love that. So I call myself an actor on like a draft team. Like I'm like waiting to get, I, yeah, I always use the reference of like, I'm not in NFL, but I'm like benched. I'm like on my, yeah. And Nothing you know, every actor feels that way. I mean, I have been on a series and number of series and movies, and I still feel like I'm benched. Like, <laughs> like one month I'll feel really cool and like on the team. And then I'll be like, you know, sidelined or, or fired and I'll be like done. One of my acting teachers says that every day she sets aside an hour where she talks herself in and out of quitting. I love the book, how it flips back and forth, because sometimes that's how I would romanticize my I love that. Well, me too. But it's so relatable. So we're totally going to jump it back. When did you move to LA? Oh my God, I moved forever ago. I feel like I've been here like 20 years, probably close to 20 years now. I moved really soon after high school. I didn't come from a lot of money. So I had to work a couple of jobs to get enough money to come out. But I was working in Atlanta. So when I came Mm -hmm. out, I came with a couple credits that helped me get an agent. So if you're in another city and there's a production, try to get on and get like a couple lines or audition because coming out with experience is better than coming out with nothing. So did you move to L.A. strictly because of acting or did you love the city? Oh, God, I hated the city. Like, I still don't like the city, really. If I wasn't in the business, I wouldn't live here. I Yeah, I just, it takes a really long time, I feel, to meet like a good group of friends. Because first of all, everybody in this town is, you're a little self-involved. You have to be. You have to be so focused Mm -hmm. and self-involved to make it in this town. And you can get distracted very easily and get, you know, in the party scene, which I didn't do, luckily. But yeah, it took me like 10 years before I felt like, oh, this is my home. When I'm Mm -hmm. on location, I'm like, I can't wait to get home. But it took a while. I didn't like LA. I mean, I came to college out here. So like, I feel like that was my bumper, even though I totally crashed and burned that freshman year and had no idea what I was doing. We all crash and burn at some point. It's part of it. But like here too, like you wake up and everyone's is that talented. Everyone's that skinny, that beautiful. And like, it's shocking. And everybody wants to be an actor. And I was like, I was the only one in high school. (laughs) 
I know you come out, but if you think about it, it's like everybody that has talent in a small town, they all want to come out or semi-attractive. They all want to come out to LA. You're getting like all these people that you're like, oh shit, this is like no joke. But that shit doesn't mean anything. No, but you think it does. And then the intimidation is so big. I always call it, this is a varsity town. And those are JV towns, which is fine. But you show up and everybody was a varsity player. Totally. No, I get it. I mean, Roxanne talks about that. And that's the thing you go, you know, when she goes in to see their doppelganger, you know, Brittany Ashley or whatever her name is that she always sees at auditions. It's like every time I go somewhere, I see somebody I'm up against or we're Mm. like, we walk in the same room like, hey, good to see you again, (laughs) you know, and the older and older you get and the more experience, it's the same people every single time. So you kind of start like building friendships around like, oh, oh, you got that part. You got that part. But it takes a while. Competition's harsh here. It is harsh. And even just like that alone can make people don't want to do it, which is fine. So you're out here. You're what we would call a working actor. Do you love or hate that term? No, I actually love that because I really see almost everybody just being a working actor because Mm -hmm. there's a thing about this business. You can, you know, your ego can inflate. You think it's all about you. And it's just like, no, man, like I'm just a worker among workers. I come there. I do my job. I failed by the job. I think the thing I did, and I talk about it in the book a lot, is that I would use the job Mm -hmm. to fill me and make me feel good and fill that empty hole inside. And it's like Hollywood cannot sustain you. It cannot give you your self-esteem, your self-worth. If you see people crash and burn all the time that have everything, you know, they relapse, they go into addiction, they die. And it's like, I know that it's best for me just to stay in my lane. Like I'm a worker among workers. I'm a working actor. I make a living doing it, which I'm very... Very grateful, but I walk down the street and nobody knows who I am. So it is what it is. I think God took care of me, especially with my addiction. I think if I would have hit it really big, mm-hmm. I probably would be dead right now. Wow. So that goes right into what I was going to say next. It's like from even my perspective, it's like you have it all. And like there was this whole thing going on behind closed doors yeah. and no one knew. And no did you one keep did. up that facade? Well, I just came out, you know, I wrote an article in HuffPost when I hit 10 years of sobriety and sex and love addiction. And I just felt this need to be of service bigger than me. So I wrote this article for HuffPost. And in the first month, it hit almost 2 million hits. And I got all these people from all over the world reaching out to me saying how much they've never heard of it before. They have this or their girlfriend or their boyfriend or their husband, whoever. And I've just been, it's so lovely to be of service because before I was so self-involved and I was so like, it was about me. It was about my job and my career and becoming this thing. And I just was using it to fill me and using other people's attention. And like I said, flirting and showmances and you going on location and escaping your reality and all that stuff. And I just knew that I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't keep giving myself when I was so empty inside. So I made this choice to go and get recovery. And I didn't even work for the first year of my sobriety. It was too hard to walk into a room and become a person when I was so empty as a person. Does that make sense? 100% makes sense. I don't think a lot of people realize how much acting is like you have to be comfortable in your own skin to be someone else. And so when you're feeling uncomfortable or anxious or whatever, it's really hard to slip into that world. Putting a mask and a mask and a mask and a mask and a mask. And it's just like, who am I? And I take off all those masks when I take off the makeup, when I take off the character, like who am I? You know, it was easy to do for so many years, but when you're getting 
getting to a point where it's like, why do I feel so bad all the time? Even when I get the job, I just feel bad. And it just, the high had to be higher. The job had to be bigger. And when I would get that job, I would be on set doing that job and then be like, well, where's my next job? I was never just where I was. I was always wanting more, 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 more. Fill me, fill me, fill me. Attention, tension, tension. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Oh. So then you've right, literally exhausting. I'm like, that sounds like a job. I'm exhausted at talking about. (laughs) And I'm even exhausted when I try to explain to people what I do. (laughs) I don't even know how to explain it. They don't get it unless you're like J-Lo or somebody. So it's like when the book was getting ready. Here's the thing. I never wanted to write a book and I never was going to tell anybody about this. It was just, you know, my close friends and family knew I've been in the program for so long. But when I had that need to help other people, because what was happening, the pandemic, Hit. And I already wrote the book, but I kept rewriting and there was younger and younger generations are coming in the program and they're having trouble with intimacy, commitment, swipe left, swipe right, always looking for the shiny, better, prettier, blah, 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 whatever thing we try to find on Instagram or TikTok yeah. or whatever. So I just felt this overwhelming feeling of like, I need to like help people like this isn't about me. So when I was doing the rewrites, it was like my higher power or God was writing it for me. So when it hit bestseller, it It didn't like make me feel special. I was like, oh, I'm so glad it's helping people. And people seem to really love it. And they're reaching out and saying how much they love it. And it's helped them. But if I could just help one person not feel alone or broken and that there is a way out and you can connect to other people and you can have intimacy and you can have a healthy relationship, then I've done my job, right? Yeah. 100%. I mean, I think there's nothing more fulfilling of admitting something that is not maybe your shiniest moment to help others. Like the worst moment, the shame. I'm like, I just go into the shame and the horrible things I've done. So also like kind of like now do you find yourself like owning it? You're like, yeah, I wrote this I could give two shits. Like I like to say I'm not a shitty person. I've done shitty things. That doesn't define who I am. I've made amends. I've, you know, helped other people. And I'm just trying to like tell others they're not alone because for so long I felt so broken and like I was just missing that gene that could fully connect to another human being and because inside I didn't get the tools from my family I didn't know have enough self-worth I you know lacked the ability because I was afraid of abandonment afraid of not being loved so I always had one foot in and one foot out of every relationship family friends partners or whoever so I have no shame now I think that's the difference between me and somebody that gets caught in their sex addiction. I blatantly chose to say, hey, listen, I'm a sex and love addict. I'm in recovery. There is a way out. Here's how I did it. You know, is if you're getting caught and then you're like, you haven't worked through all your shit. You haven't looked at all your character defects. You haven't made amends. You haven't gone through the grieving process, old self to this new self. And I think that I've done that. And then I came out that anybody can say anything to me. And I'm like, I could give two fucks. Like Mm -hmm. either you like me or you don't like me, but I know I'm a good person underneath all the crap I used to do. And there's something about writing it in a fiction sense where Mm. I could even go further into my crap. And because there's the, I can say, well, you don't know actually what's real and not. So it gave me this permission to even let more stuff out, to like reveal more because I was protected by the Roma Clef fiction on top of that. We're never going to know. And also like as a creative person, it's like, well, this sounds good here. So it's going to go here. (laughs) 
Yeah, pretty much. I mean, one scene that is one of my favorites, it was a dream. Yeah. I like woke up at 3 a.m. I was like, oh my God, here it is. This is here it is. And I like ran in here in my office and I was like typing for like an hour and a half. And it's one of my favorite scenes. But here's the thing when my husband read it, because we've been together forever, like 16 years. So he wow. was with me when I went into the program. I almost blew up our whole life pretty much. Like I almost <sighs> ruined our, us completely. And he stuck with me, but he read the book and he could only get through <laughs> like chapter seven. And he had to stop when he first read the first draft. And he's like, I didn't know this about you. You did this. And I was like, I didn't do that. That was made up. (laughs) You're like, that's fake. I'll never tell you what he was talking about. But yeah, so it's just hilarious. And he was like, really? He was like, oh my God. Because I was like, I didn't even know that about my wife. He doesn't even know what's real sometimes in the book either. I think that's also like important for a creative person. Like just to like, you know, I always tell myself this when there's like an acting moment. That, you know, you have to like give yourself permission to be like, this is fake. Like, I'm going to let that happen to me or get my heart broken. And you have to give yourself permission to be like, this isn't real. But for this moment, it's going to be. And when it's over, it's not. And like, I think one of my favorite parts about Roxanne is like, you can tell that she could be anyone is my favorite. Anyone. Anyone. Like, I like, this is me. I've seen these behaviors, my friends. And also not even just women. I've definitely seen men too. Oh, tons of men. I've had men in the program that have longer, like 15 years, 17 years. And I gave a lot of people like the old timers. I'm an old timer in the program, but I gave, you know, just to see what they thought and see how, because they're in my community. They're my fellows. And every single one of them, and especially the men were like, oh my God, that helped me look at this so much. That helped me go deeper. Like this book really has helped a lot of men, which I'm very proud of. But I also wanted it to be fun and be like, I wanted you to read it and not realize you were learning things. (laughs) Like I wanted you to read it and be entertained and taken on a journey. But I also wanted to educate. And the books that I've read and over a decade ago about sex and love addiction, they're so clinical. They're so academic. And I was like, Oh, I would get through one page and I couldn't retain it. And I would like throw the book against the wall. And I wanted to inform and educate, but in a very entertaining way. Right. No, there's nothing worse than hearing about life clinically. It's got no way to no, it's literally in one ear, out the other. I can't retain it when they're like, this is your hormonal thing. <laughs> and then your body gets like, it's like, Ugh, stop it already. There's not an ounce of reality. In that. Okay, <laughs> Your book literally cracks me up because when I read it, I'm reading it as a movie. Like I have your outfits in my head as Roxanne. Like I see her. The yeah. blue jeans, the white tinting top. Love it. Yeah, the leather jacket when it's like... It's not a hard read. I'm like not... It's not heady, but I'm I'm learning a lot emotionally. What was your favorite part to write? I think my favorite part to write were all her subtexts that what she really thinks. There was shit I had to take out because it was like too much, like my editor and stuff was like, yeah, you can't say that. And I was like, why not? Why can't I say that? Like, that's how I feel. That's what I think. And she's like, yeah, you can't say that. So that was really fun for me. And it's just letting my freak flag fly. Like people like Roxanne or me or you and think a certain way. And underneath there's all these complex feelings and situations and things that have happened. And I just wanted to like throw open the doors to the business of Hollywood to a working Mm -hmm. actress that, you know, the shit they go through and the shit you go through when you've had trauma in your past and you haven't dealt with it. You've had horrible situations, breakups, people taking advantage of you, you taking advantage of them and not dealing with it. So I loved writing like the scenes and the dialogue between them. And when I was writing it, people are like, were you writing it thinking of you playing the part? 
I was like, no, I was writing it like a TV series. Honestly, like I was writing it like another person, not me. So that was really fun. And I think the hardest chapters for me to write were five, six and seven, you know, looking back at the why, walking through the fire, like all that stuff was C and D chapter. The C and oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That one was torture. That was my hardest. Yeah, that one was like one of the hard. Every time I worked on that, rewrote those chapters, like five, six and seven, looking back, the C and the D and I would like want to throw up. Honestly, it was the hardest. But then I would get to chapter eight with, you know, Superstar and and Cool Mm -hmm. Girl. And I like love that chapter. So it was like I felt so much better after. But I think writing the little, you know, her going into fantasy and all that, Mm -hmm. all of it was fun to write. Honestly, I just like put it all in there and was just went for it, went for broke. We love that. So we kind of touched on it a little bit. There's this whole lie. I think we tell in middle America that Hollywood is this gorgeous place and everyone's just perfect and nothing goes awry. And just it affects you like that feeling of you're going to show up here. You're going to be on a TV show and a billboard in a week and there's going to be no cracks in the armor. It's such a lie. I know it definitely affected me. Like I think about in high school, in high school was probably like my worst understanding phase of dating Ten, I would listen to love songs and think that this is an abusive relationship where there's a lot of push and pull and we're not committed. That's love. And like, oh yeah, that's the thrill. And I'm like, that isn't bringing luck. Well, it's all a lie. We all, society's a lie right now. I mean, we have been amplifying sex and love addiction. Every Mm -hmm. song you listen to, every movie you watch, every TV show, there is a sex and love addict in all of those. You listen and it's like unrequited love, longing, push and pull. Someone's always breaking up. Like I say, it's the perfect thing is I talk about in the book, Romeo and Juliet, which you know I'm going to say, but like this guy had the most perfect ass, like the actor when I was so young. And I was like, oh, that's a nice ass. And then at the end of the movie, like someone has to love somebody so much after two days, two days they were together that either one person had to die for the other. Like you had to drink some poison or stab yourself. Like that's what real love was. And that's what I took into every relationship. The moment that passion would go away, I wouldn't think it was real love. And I think Hollywood does that. It perpetuates the problem. Right. These are the lies we tell everyone. It's like, yeah, this is how life is. And it's just not true. Like a good relationship to me is like stable. Yeah. No drama. It's like, where's the movie about that? Sure. Maybe. Exactly. Interesting. Like you want to like get some like drama going in the moment a relationship felt stable. They were showing up. We were paying bills together. We were picking up the poop. I was out. I was like, this isn't this is boring. But that I have to tell you now, that's what I have. Mm -hmm. And it is the most amazing thing to be with somebody that, you know, they'll show up for you. There's like a partnership. They don't fill you. A relationship shouldn't fill you. You shouldn't feel There's no such fucking thing as a soulmate. Like, I'm so over it. There is no soulmate. Like, you're not cut in half and you're looking through the world for that other person to complete you. Like, it's insane to me because here's the truth. Your soulmate is looking right at you in the mirror. That's the person you have to live and die with. You better fucking love yourself. And that's what the book talks about. Like, learning to love yourself unconditionally with nothing else on the outside. So good. And it's so true. And it's like, at the end of the day, it's just going to be you. So you can either like it or you could not. And you could have wasted your time doing God knows what, wherever. Or you could make yourself happy with not the things that you were told by Hollywood or Instagram. 
Yeah. That that's cool. Like because those things actually don't fill you. No. And I'm and I'm saying on the other side, because I've had the cash and prizes. Listen, I've had the jobs, I've had those situations, and they don't fill you. They mm-hmm. they it doesn't make you feel better. It doesn't complete you. And you know, I have so many A-list friends in the program. I have people coming in that are huge stars and then they leave. And you know, I've had tons of friends die from this disease, lose their recovery in AA or drugs because of a relationship going bad. I've had people lose their sanity, go to jail. It's like, this is a no joke disease and it runs rampant in Hollywood. But here's the thing, it runs rampant in small towns. It's all over the world and people are suffering. And I just wanted to bring light to it and, you know, and also reveal some of Hollywood's hidden secrets, I guess you could say. So that actually brings me to something I wanted to talk to you about. I think that people, when they hear sex and love, they have a very different idea of what it is. Yeah. What is like the tropes or things that you wish you could debunk? Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, people think of sex and love are sex addicts as um, right? Mm-hmm. That cheat on their wives. That's the majority of what people think. But I have to tell you, the program is 50% women and 50% men. They think, you know, it's not a real disease that you can't get addicted to people, which we all know that's a lie. Get into any relationship with an unavailable person and you get addicted to them. And yeah. you're like, please love me, love me. And the moment you get them, then usually you're like, oh, this, I don't want this anymore. So we don't talk about it because... Because it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to say that I use people to fill me, that I use attention to fill me. It's easier to say I'm an alcoholic or I'm a drug addict. People forgive you for that. But if you're using, you know, sexual acts, it's not about the person. It's about the sexual acts. So we're talking like porn, masturbation, one night stands, you know, cheating on your partner, multiple partners at one time. That's like the sex addict side. And Mm -hmm. I definitely was a cheater. I definitely had multiple partners at the same time. But I've never had a one night stand. You can be a sex addict and not have a lot of like one night stands. And I haven't had a lot of sexual partners. So I am still a sex addict, even though I haven't had a ton of experience that way. And then the love addict side that people don't understand is where you're addicted to fantasy. You're addicted to like having that movie happy ending. You're addicted to like not really knowing somebody, but like putting this fantasy on them. And then when they don't act like you think they should, you get angry with them or you keep going after that unavailable person that doesn't want you or going back to that abusive relationship, intriguing, flirting, all those things. So it's usually a combination of both people have and it's all walks of life. Right. When I walked into my first meeting, which Roxanne does and goes through the meeting, it was like 40 people and it was from an A-list celebrity to a janitor, to a social worker, to an elementary school teacher. And it was every ethnicity, every, you know, economic background. It doesn't matter. This affects every everyone. And I just wanted to, like I said, blow open the doors and say, this is a huge problem. The divorce rate rate is so high. The younger generation is not getting married. The younger generation is having trouble committing, having intimacy issues. And then with the porn on top of it, the availability to porn is really affecting men, young men, that they're saying there's going to be an epidemic where, you know, childbirth stops because this younger generation are finding themselves incapable of staying in committed relationships. 
absolutely. I mean, I'm in a relationship for four years, but like people here, like they're like, it's impossible to date in LA. And I'm yeah. like, wait, what? But people just think on to the next, on to the next. On to the next, yeah. I wasn't single during like Tender and Bumble and Grinder. I don't even know because I sponsor so many people. That I <laughs> but I mean, I can't imagine trying to find a partner when you are always like looking for better instant gratification in real relationships. It takes a lot of work, but it should be easy. And so anybody's struggling out there in a relationship, if there's a lot of drama, if it's hard, that's usually a sign that it's not a match. And I think people try to make things work when it shouldn't work. They don't walk away. They don't keep their boundaries. They don't, you know, all that stuff that we are lacking as a society right now, and especially in Hollywood. Yeah, you walk around and it's like, hey, how are you doing? It's like, dude, I'm married. Like, don't talk to me like that. Buzz off. Yeah, really not going to flirt with you. I am not going to let you rape me for energy to feel make it. That's what I used to do. I used to walk around and rape people for their energy. Like, oh, give me attention. Give me your energy. So I feel better. So people don't do that to me anymore. I just am like, no, don't. I don't even care. Like, don't even talk to me. I love that. So and even with that, I think then people can get into relationships and then they're walking down the street and they're scrolling on Instagram and they see this like wicked hot couple living this luxury life. And then you're like, well, my relationship's not good enough. Like I yeah. need to be in a better one. Like, is that attainable? Like I don't think in the long No, run. even those people that I know some of those couples that have mm-hmm. that Instagram pretty relationship and they're not pretty. We have to stop comparing ourselves to other people. And unfortunately, with all the filters and everything, and it just shows the highlight reel. It doesn't show, you know, taking out the trash, having that hard conversation about the bill needing to be paid and how you're going to pay it. That stuff is not talked about. It should be talked about in school. Like they should have a class for kids to have healthy relationships and healthy communication. Oh, I told there's so many. I could go on about the things I think should be taught in school. Yeah, like finances. People should teach finance. People should learn how to take care of their home and make meals and stuff. But going back to the comparing thing, Mm -hmm. which kind of gets to one of my favorite parts of the book. You talk about the cool girl. Cool girl. Yeah, she is probably what we would on this podcast call the egg girl. Totally. Looks like she has it all. Bohemian, perfectly poifed hair. Like oh not a God. Straight, like not a wrinkle on the forehead. <laughs> yeah, like perfectly golden skin where you're like, yeah, yeah. you just got it all. Mm-hmm. But my favorite part about her is, well, I want you to tell me. What She's a hot mess. Yeah, that was my favorite part. Yeah, well, it's true. I know a lot of cool girls and they're hot messes. It's like there's this generation of girls who act like they don't care. They're cool with everything you can do. They just want to be like an enigma that nobody like knows them. And they like come in your life and like make you feel special. And then they'll like float out. Right. And I just wanted to bring, you know, it's kind of like two or three girls meshed together a little bit. Her. I mean, she leans towards someone I know really well, but I won't tell you who. But yeah, I just wanted to again, just to say like this girl might look like she has it all and her life may look like the best life, but underneath is she's struggling just like everybody else. Yeah. And that right there is exactly how I felt when I was like, I want to start this podcast. Like I think so much in lights now with the highlight reel or even just what you'll tell people in conversation is going on. There's so much more that just doesn't make it to the front. And I think it's very fair and important to know that transitions are hard or, you know, growing up is hard or relationships are hard. I don't get why that narrative isn't more pushed. And I think that's exactly how you felt too. 
Yeah. And I think it's starting to be though. I think people, especially after the pandemic, what I'm feeling from my own podcast Mm -hmm. and talking to people and also writing the book and then discussing it and getting on panels is people are sick and tired of this facade. I guess you could say we're all walking Mm -hmm. around facade. And I love that it's more authentic and vulnerable and saying, you know, shit is really hard right now. I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. And I just think I used to wear that facade. And the moment I let it go, the moment I just said, like, I need help. I'm so unhappy. I don't want to kill myself, but I don't want to be on this planet anymore. And the moment like I voiced that to somebody else was the connection was deeper. I understood more. I like let my authenticity out. And I just think it's so much more of a beautiful way to live if everybody could walk around and do that instead of like try to look like they have it all together when they don't. Or even I think for me, my biggest part of the journey right now for me is like I'm coming out and transitioning out of the fades of constantly comparing and thinking, oh, if only I did this or if only I did went that way, this would have turned out different, which brings me to my favorite quote from the book. And it says, but let's get serious. Social media is a breeding ground for all the what ifs and could haves. You might as well stamp fantasy addict on your head when you start to go back and look at what could have been. We've all done it. I was like, we have all done it, but nobody is saying that to each other. So I'm like, let's start that dialogue. Yeah. It just really hit home. Well, even social media for a year after I had my son and it was the most freeing I've ever been. And I didn't want to get back on. But of course, you know, your team and people are, you have to be on. Mm -hmm. It's your business, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I have to limit myself to how much social media I'm because no matter how good things are in my life. And I talk about this and like she has this moment where she's feeling good and she goes on and she sees her friend glam girl, like Mm -hmm. as she looks around her house and everything just crashes. Like all that work she did on her inner self, on, you know, feeling good about herself just as she is crashed when she went on and looked at this stuff her friend had that she didn't have. And I've had those moments. So I have to really limit myself. I try not to go on. I don't scroll. I try to answer people, but I don't look at other people what they're doing. Because even when my life is amazing, the book is doing amazing, you know, all this amazing stuff, my head can still like go into fantasy and like, oh, but I should be getting this or be with that person or do that. So I get it, girl. Like I'm right there with you. And I think a lot of people are and they just don't talk about it. I think exactly. I think a lot of people are. And also, well, I like, just had Jana Kramer on, who's oh, my really it. good friend on Secret Life Podcast. And we talk about it. So if you need, you know, check that out. Check it's like out. a girl that has everything and she still does it. So it's we are not it. alone. No, yeah. exactly. And like, that's the main thing is like this whole book and your whole story should not just be looked at as love and sex addiction. It is a life story of like influences that come in and out and that's what I read when I read it. I was like, this is me. This could be me. This could be anyone. And it's like, that's why the one thing is like labeling it off as this way. It's like, no, there are so many layers to each person in each thing and why we react that way. And like, I don't think a single person can read through this book and not have at least one moment of being like, I've done that. I hope not. I really wrote it where everybody could read it. I mean, my mother said that, which is crazy. My mother to say like, I've done this. I've done, I have some of those tendencies and flaws. And I was like, if my mother can say that, who, you know, a couple of years ago, I'm like, why don't you go into therapy? And she was like, I'm too old to change. I'm not interested in therapy. Like she literally said that to me. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, if it can help one person or someone feel like, oh, I've done that. There's 
there's a way not to do that anymore, then it was worth it. It was worth revealing my own ickiness to help someone else. Well, I think you've definitely helped more than one person. So hmm. on that note, is there any advice for somebody who's going through what maybe you went through or, you know, just stumbling? What's your best advice for them? Okay, my best advice I always say is talk to somebody, one person, even just in voicing like, if you don't even know what's going on, but you just don't feel like I said, it's not that I want to kill myself. I just don't want to be here anymore. Or you get the thing you think you want and then you still feel like crap, those kind of things. Or you keep going into bad relationships or you keep cheating on your partner or you keep finding yourself intriguing outside of your relationship. All that stuff is voice it to one person, someone you trust or a stranger sometimes just saying like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Then I would say if it's about relationships, if it's about family dynamics, if it's about a partner, go to Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. They have 40 questions. It's a self-diagnosed test. And it's like, do you look for someone to fix you? Do you find yourself, you know, feeling like life's unworth living if you don't have a romantic partner? Things like that. And if you get more than five yeses, it says you might have this problem. And I think a lot of people in our society does. I'm not saying you have to go on to a 12-step program. I'm just saying it's a good way to see if like there's something inside you that needs to switch or you need to do some inner work or whatever. But that's my advice. That's what helped me. It saved my life. Honestly, like my life today is so much more beautiful and stable and there's serenity and peace than I was like running around trying to get filled by everybody else. On that note, I'm dying to know what's next Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. Well, I've already written book two. So I'm doing rewrites now. And then I start rewriting with my editor soon. And then there is a third book and a fourth book. So wow. it's a four book series. And, you know, we've got an interest in making it into a TV show. So we're taking meetings about that. And we have another show we're producing right now, my husband and I and Secret Life Podcast. My husband and I created that podcast to help other people. Like it's all walks of life. People that commit suicide, use abortions as birth control, eating disorder for men, you know, sex and love addict, every kind of situation. It's just where I allow other people to let go of their secrets. So feel any shame anymore. And it's been the best thing I've ever done. So and then I'm just doing whatever my God has planned for me or my higher power, whatever, you know, if an acting job comes, it's just whatever's in the cards for me. I've stopped trying to figure it out. That's the other thing. Stop trying to figure it out. Turn it over to somebody else because we cannot control the universe. I cannot control anything. Thank you guys so much for listening to this remastered episode of Confessions of a Wannabe It Girl. Thank you so much to Brianne Davis for this amazing episode. Make sure to check her out on the Secret Life podcast and also her book, The Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. And we are definitely writing for that second book. Guys, thank you so much for listening. And if you like this episode, please share it with a friend and don't forget to rate and subscribe to the show. We'll see you next Tuesday. So you want to be an it girl? Thank you guys so much for listening to Confessions of a Wannabe It Girl. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, all the things. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to the show. Bye.